1: My
0: next prompt, what do you think are my green flags?
1: I would say she's deeply loyal. She believes in love, curious mindset, and she is fearlessly
0: ambitious. And then last but not least, what kind of friend am I? Julie is the kind of friend who will always have your back no matter what. Damn, that feels nice to hear. So download Hinge and try Voice Prompts today. Then find someone worth deleting the app for. Hi, I'm Yui Xu. And I'm Julie Krafcik. We're active daters turned dating sociologists. Here to dive into everything modern dating and relationships. Well, Welcome to the Dateable Podcast.
1: Hi, friends. Welcome back to Dateable. Take a deep breath. We're just going to warn you right now. Take a deep <laughs> breath.
0: Get comfortable. We're getting into it. <laughs> change, change into your sweats. Something with elastic waist pants. Take You're going to a bath. <laughs>
1: Take a a candle, yeah. Yeah. Get some pillows, (laughs) (laughs) something that's yeah, something that you can cuddle with. If you have a pet, just grab them and just start cuddling with them. Tissues,
0: oh, I didn't even think about that. People are like, What is happening? (laughs) This is a heavier topic, but it is time
1: well spent. We guarantee you, yes it's a lot to think about. We're talking about childhood wounds. Yes, we're going there. Childhood wounds. <laughs> let's go. What's there? Let's dig it up. Let's, let's, you know, just unbury it all. But we guarantee you, if you do the work and listen to this episode, it will change
0: mm-hmm. everything
1: as soon as you're done with this episode.
0: And what better person to be with us for this mm-hmm. episode I feel like she's the queen of unpacking your childhood. Vienna Farron. We had her on the podcast with her husband, Connor Beaton few seasons back. How to have a healthy relationship was the topic we did with them. And Mm -hmm. we talked about conflict. That was pretty much the gist of it. And now that I've been in a healthy relationship for two years, I see why we spent so much time in that arena. You know, Vienna alluded to it even in that episode that a lot of our conflict styles, communication styles, the way we navigate, internalize, it all comes down to our childhood. You know, we, (sighs) we have a lot of attachment theory fans out there so this shouldn't be total surprise to you that the way we were cared for and it's not to say our parents did a bad job or bad people like we want to get that out of the way like that's always the go-to of just like oh cool i can just blame my parents now for why my dating life's a mess but we're not saying that we're just saying like how do we start to reflect back? in a way that actually can help us move forward. And I love this episode because it goes, in my opinion, way deeper than attachment theory.
1: Oh, yeah. This blows it out of the water. And to be blunt with you all, I used to think this is bullshit. Like childhood (laughs) trauma, childhood wounds, that's bullshit. My childhood was great. My parents did the best they could. All of my traumas are from my adult life. But now I think childhood wounds, Julie, I don't know if you notice this, it's having a moment every therapist out there is Mm -hmm. talking about childhood wounds right now it seems to be a thing it's kind of trendy but vienna has great reason for diving into it this because she can see her childhood so clearly she's been through quite a bit of trauma that feeds into how she operates in adult relationships and i see it for myself now too It's to say none of our parents are perfect. You won't be perfect as a parent either. None of us will (laughs) ever be perfect parents. So we will inflict trauma and wounds on our kids that they'll spend their entire lives healing from. That is the meaning of life, believe it or not, is
0: healing. And we go through what a wound is compared to trauma, but, you know, the word trauma, I feel like we think something massive has to happen, but that's really not yeah. the case. And, you know, I definitely can see this now in my relationship because I think relationships and dating, they are a mirror and they bring up all mm-hmm. of your childhood wounds. I don't know about you, UA, but I feel like when I was really single, thriving, I was really at peace with myself. And I was like, okay, I feel confident. I feel good Mm -hmm. and you know it's not to say that like I don't feel that way now because I still do but when you have someone else that's someone that you care about very deeply that is I would say challenging maybe is a good way to put it and not in a bad way but it brings stuff up for you because let's be honest relationships are not always going to go 100% the way that you want and I think actually relationships are harder even with dating at least for me I think other people feel different with that because I'm so much more attached to the outcome at this stage like my Mm. fear of abandonment kicks in super hard when I'm with someone that I can see a future with and want to be with. And I definitely have done some of the work. Absolutely. Like this time around, I was in a much better place to navigate this conflict with my partner. But I was also able to see how my childhood definitely affected some of the ways and reactions I had to things.
1: For sure. There's a term for this that I keep forgetting, but it's Basically in term in times of conflict with your partner you start seeing your parent instead of your partner so you start talking <laughs> to your partner like they're your parent and i saw this very clearly recently and, and i i can watch it go down so vividly now is <laughs> my partner and i i was i was mad at him because we both brought dogs into the relationship his dog had peed on our rug for the fifth time. So I had to get rid of the rug because it was fucking disgusting. So when he got home after this had happened, I was already cold shouldering him. And when I told him what happened, the first thing he said was, oh, did you call that sanitation department to pick up the rug? Like he went straight to the chore assignment, Mm. which then I saw my mom you know, uh, doing the same thing to me when I was six years old, coming home from school. And I'm like, I had such a bad day at school. And she's like, but did you finish your homework? Mm. That is what I saw (laughs) in my partner. And I say I kind of joke about this all the time. I'm like, I'm dating my mom because he and my mom are so (laughs) similar, even though either one of them would ever admit to it. But it is so clear to me now that I can see that pattern, which even a year ago, I would have been like, No, it's just a different conflict style. That's just how we deal with conflict. It's not actually it's it is so deeply rooted in us that you'll hear in this episode too. In Vienna's book, she talks about why it's so deeply buried in us. It's it's a self protective mechanism. We as children bury it and we don't want to revisit it because we're protecting ourselves from getting hurt. And as adults, that's the time to just resurface it all and address each one at a time trying to healing from it.
0: Doesn't that sound like fun? (laughs) <laughs> you know it it's definitely a thing because I can see what you're saying it's like you get the flashback to your mom treat, oh, like, yeah. doing this to you and it's the way you internalized it maybe like you're doing something wrong or yes. someone else that might actually not impact them because they didn't have that background right. you know like there were times like my partner and I did couples therapy and there were times that like he would say something and I internalized it a certain way yeah the therapist was like I didn't hear what you heard. You know, like, what you're saying is coming from your own shit, basically
1: Mm. (laughs) mmm
0: yes that's why you need a third person in the room that's why you need an objective third party I swear (laughs)
1: therapists are translators for couples that's what they are they're like oh wait but you just said let me just repeat that again because I didn't hear (laughs) that of of what you said you know even in this example is you have to also understand where your partner is coming from with their childhood wounds because you internalize it one way and then he meant it another way oh, because yep. he, had, yep. he had he had experienced that as, yeah. he has his wounds like, and which might feed into your wounds and at the end of the day you're just two five year olds trying to have an adult conversation oh my together. God
0: what that's so meta. so meta so
1: meta how do you even do that you become your your childhood memories become the representative for you in these relationships wild it's mind-blowing but vienna did the work i don't know how she got through it all because that is such deep shit that we're getting into it's so heavy but it's so necessary
0: i'll say it again it's so necessary it really is and you know she has an incredible book it's it's a New York Times bestseller, The Origins of You. This is all in there. I will say we scratched the surface with this topic. (laughs) Yue and I had probably like 10 more questions that we were ready to go down but we only got halfway through but that's depth for you. We were saying at the end like we need to have her back but you also have this in a book so that's the good news here. But yeah, it's definitely like I was thinking about this too. I'm like I feel like sometimes I read books before bed just like you know chapter here, there, and a fall asleep i'm like this is a definite i need to you know dedicate time sit outside like do. you know get a cocoon or something blankets get myself comfy and cozy because you're doing the work you're doing the work but i love it because it's accessible for all
1: my friend who is halfway through the book she's like i started crying by page two. Oh, like, two totally. oh wow this is gonna take you a long time to get through that's how deep she gets but you'll I think the magic of the book is you read a a chapter and you're like, that was so relatable. But yet it's uncovering so much that
0: I forgot about. Right. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And it's I think it's really just like because you think of it as big events. So all the little stuff you forget, but the little stuff adds up over time. (sighs) <sighs> it sure can you it wait <laughs> to be a parent someday for all our parents out there this is a good listen i feel like if you're a parent i would say this is a must because it gives you a total different perspective of how this stuff plays in later in life oh uh, yeah yeah
1: i went to a baby shower this <laughs> weekend with our for our guests a former guest amy and we had to go around giving her advice and like okay. as someone who is <laughs> who's not a parent I didn't have much advice to give her, but the people who who were parents, they said some of the most real <laughs> tidbits I've ever heard. One person was like, "You're gonna hate your kid at one point. Oh and that's okay. It's okay to hate your kid. It's gonna. It's okay." And then someone else said that you're going to fuck up as a parent you're going to fuck up give yourself grace because everyone's going to fuck up as a parent nobody's going to be perfect so so <laughs> nice i guess hearing that but also it makes you realize that your parents are just human at the end of I the know. day and they were also just trying to grow and evolve and they didn't know what the fuck they were doing like parenting doesn't come with a with a manual just like right. dating doesn't come with a manual And so it's not about your parents. It's about healing from your experiences.
0: Yeah. This is not like parent blaming type of episode (laughs) at all. Although some of you might be doing (sighs) that. But I mean, I think also to think about it too, like what is the circumstance? Like, you know, if you need to get food on the table, that's the priority. And yeah. yeah, you want to spend every second with your child, but like sometimes that's just not doable, right? It doesn't no. mean that you're a bad parent. So it's again how we internalize it. But it's crazy to think of like an example like through the lens of the child and then the adult. Like I can think of you know an instance where like someone got upset and I internalized it away, but I'm sure the way that they viewed it was you know what your friends were giving us advice, <laughs> right? Exactly,
1: and then they're like, "What's a big deal?"
0: <laughs> right or it's just like you're frustrated too right it's not right. you're just doing it to like fuck up your child for life it's coming because of something <laughs> oh
1: man it's a lot it's so much a, it's so much to think about And then if you're like the firstborn versus like the youngest child, if you're an only child like me, you have a whole other set of uh, different wounds to heal from. So (laughs) it's all to say this is a very human experience that we all share. All of us come with wounds. Nobody is unscathed by this. And that is okay. But we have now resources. How lucky are we, like Vienna and her book, to help us guide through these wounds so that we know how to heal from them properly awesome
0: well without further ado (laughs) we're not gonna keep going because we'll let the expert herself take us through but while you're at it make sure to follow us at dateable podcasts vienna also has a fabulous instagram that's quite massive but she has great inspirational quotes we're all like like the two of us are just like she seems wise beyond her (laughs) gears so definitely follow her but also pay us a visit at exit interview show that's our new handle for our other podcast exit interview if you haven't caught up yet. Time is now. You can do it. And then at Julie Krafczyk, at Non Platonic. Those are all on Instagram. You can also find us on TikTok, YouTube, Facebook. We've got our Facebook group, Love in the Time of Corona. One day we will change that name. I think we're actually hitting the time. It might be okay. You to think so? It now. Oh, no. It's so nostalgic. No. We keep it
1: forever. Forever and ever.
0: Yes. Forever and ever. But before we get into it, let's hear a quick message from our sponsors.
1: Support for today's episode comes from Honey Love. Isn't it about time that shapewear can ditch the uncomfortable wires and restrictive fabric? I've always stayed away from traditional shapewear that not only didn't feel very flattering, but was not very comfortable. Honey Love is here to save the day. Honey Love is your go-to for all things shapewear. They have revolutionized compression technology so you no longer have to feel like you're suffocating while wearing effective shapewear. Their best-selling super power shorts are my favorite. It has targeted compression technology that distinguishes between areas where you want more support and areas you need less compression. You'll immediately feel and see the difference. And lucky for you, we have an exclusive offer for all of our listeners. Treat yourself to the best shapewear on the market and save 20% off at honeylove.com with the code DATEABLE20. Use the code D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E and the number 20 at honeylove.com. Again, use the code DATEABLE20 at honeylove.com for 20% off. month and never worry about what to wear again. Try armoire today. Okay, let's hear it from Vienna. All right, so we know our childhood definitely feeds into a lot of our adult behavior. And some of us have opened that can of worms. I've tried starting that late last year. And some of us may still be exploring how do we even tap into that. But we want to get to the origins of who you are, the childhood experiences, but specifically childhood wounds. Wounds is one of those words that just like kind of hurts my soul, even saying out loud. But it's really the best articulation of what experience as children. So Vienna Farron is our guest today. So nice to have you back as a repeat guest. How are you?
2: Welcome. Thank you. Yeah, I'm great. And so happy to be here with both of you getting to chat about this book.
1: And her book is phenomenal. Julie and I have had many (laughs) late night conversations about it. It's called The Origins of You, How Breaking Family Patterns Can Liberate the Way We Live and Love. Now, Here's the thing. The reason why I think this book has been so life changing for me is because I always thought I had a perfect childhood. Nothing really stood out to me, but I realized that that was my way of protecting myself. And you bring that to light in this book is that self protection mechanism of kind of shoving all that away. So we're going to bring it back up today. (laughs) Brace yourselves, everyone. It could get a little bit emotional, but I think it will tap into kind of our soul and our core of how we're feeling today and get our inner children out in the open. <laughs> so Vienna lives in Rhinebeck, New York. She's originally from New Jersey. 37 years old. She's married to Connor B, just <laughs> to be clear. And we'll dive right in into how our childhood wounds play into our love lives mm. as adults. So let's talk about this word wounds, because how would you describe the difference between wounds and trauma? I
2: am glad that the word resonated with you so much. Mm -hmm. I was very intentional about using that word. I think certainly many of us have experienced trauma before, but I also think that that word can be overused. And I also think that it doesn't articulate every person's experience. You know, I think Mm -hmm. it is much more likely to say that all of us have wounds than it might be for us to say that all of us have trauma. And I also think trauma is one of those things that a lot of people check out of. to your point when you're like, mm-hmm. I had like a pretty good childhood, you know? And if there right. isn't something that's so glaring, yeah. then people are like, that, ah, this book isn't for me or this work isn't for me. But wounds for me, that I think is a, just a human shared experience. And when I hear that word I normally think of a physical wound first, right? That—that That is, mm-hmm. I would imagine how mm-hmm. most of us think about it. And, you know, when we're kids, right, you like scrape your knee and you're like, oh, there's the wound, right? And yeah. a parent maybe comes around and cleans it up and puts a Band-Aid over it, tells you to let it get some air. Then the Band-Aid comes off and then you bang your knee up against the table or the chair <laughs> and the scab falls off and it starts to bleed a little bit again, right? Like we sort of have that imagery when we think about wounds. And it felt very important to bring that forward when it comes to emotional wounds, psychological wounds, right? That like these unseen wounds, there might not be that blood or that scab or that scrape, right? But like we all have a range of injuries where every single time we come up against it It might not be the chair or the table, but it's going to be our romantic relationships or our friendships or our bosses or colleagues or us in relationship with our parents or siblings as adults now, right? It's like Mm -hmm. every time we come back into contact, right? We start rubbing up against that emotional wound, that psychological wound. They're harder to see as we know, right? But like, that's why bringing attention to this is so important. And for anyone listening, like, if you have any unwanted pattern in your life, right? If you get reactive ever, you
0: know, like so if you can give advice that you can, right,
2: like you can give advice that you can't take. You sometimes sabotage things, and we know it's self protective, but you still do it, right? Those are all really great indicators that you have unresolved pain from the past, that you have some type of wound that still needs your attention. Mm-hmm. And I do think, Julie, to your point, right? it's like everyone, right, gets reactive at times. These unwanted patterns that we're like, I promise I'll never do this thing again. And then we're right back in the conflict, or we keep choosing and pursuing Mm. emotionally unavailable people to date, or whatever it might be. It's like those are the things that want our attention. I have been saying that patterns are pain's way of grabbing at our attention, mm. right? And like mm. just to really just mm. sit with that, right? It's like whatever pattern it is that I continue to engage in, even though I really don't want to, even though I make those promises to myself, even though I can sort of understand it logically or rationally, but we keep finding ourselves back in that unwanted pattern, right? It's like patterns are pain's way of trying to grab your attention and get you to tune in further.
0: I'm so glad you bring that up. I think cuz the word trauma, I totally agree with you. It's like we think that we need to have big T trauma or something significant in our lives. It almost feels like mm-hmm. you're misusing the word if it's not. Mm-hmm. But we actually did this episode about dating trauma and that really resonated with people cuz it's all these little T mm-hmm. events that, you know, accumulate over the years and I kind of think of like the wounds in a similar way. It might not be this big massive thing that happened, but all the things in our past greatly affect our present. You hear people say the past is the past. Like, why, in your opinion, is it so important that we do reflect on the past in our present?
2: Yeah, the past is only the past if it's resolved. Mm. You know, the past is the present if it's unresolved. Mm. And so this idea that time will heal everything feels misguided, right? It's like time and intention might heal things, right? Time, intention, awareness, resolution, right? Like those are the things that need to intersect in order for us to actually not be controlled or bound by the past. So yeah, if it's resolved, sure. (laughs) You know, like we don't need to spend that much time with it. But if it's unresolved, which I would say that So much is when we're kids, teenagers, even in our 20s, you know, it's like we tend to find the path forward. We tend to white knuckle our way through. We tend to like brute force. We survive, right? When you're four years old, you're not like, let me witness my pain and grief." You know, you're like, who do I need to be in order to be loved by my parent? You know, it's like you just get on with it, right? We survive that until we come to a point in our lives. And obviously this could be it any age for people. But until we come to this point where we actually slow down and start tending to it. And so, yeah, right. Like for most of us, when we start stepping into this work and you, you said you started leaning into this like a yearish ago mm-hmm. about some of like the family of origin stuff. Yeah. Some of the listeners here are like, Oh, I've done a lot of this. Or those who are like, I've never touched my family before. <laughs> and I, what I'll tell you is regardless of where you are on the spectrum, there is going to be more for you to find here. There is going to be more for you to tend to. And so, yeah, this idea of just surviving our way through and saying the past is the past. And that was so long ago. And, you know, it it doesn't have a hold on me is just one of the distractions away from us actually acknowledging ourselves and our story and truly honoring it. The amount of distractions we all engage with is pretty phenomenal. (laughs) You know, we're really good at distractions. Totally.
1: Yeah. Really good at surviving, like you said. And something in your book that was just so profound for me is you say life is not out to get you. Life is to heal you. I think when we talk about wounds and traumas, people think, ah, all these things are happening to me. I have bad luck. These terrible things are happening to me and it's out of my control. But you're saying, actually, things do happen to you, but now we have the opportunity to heal from those wounds. So can you explain that a little bit more, why that's so important for people to hear?
2: I love that sentence too, right? It's like, it's not out to get us. Pain is not out to destroy us. It's not rubbing its hands together cynically and laughing every (laughs) single time we arrive at the yet again. You know, like that's not it. But pain is really clever. Clever, right Our systems are really brilliant and clever systems and pain doesn't want to be abandoned. You know, pain doesn't want you to just get on with it and ignore what something felt like. It doesn't want you to just get on with life and never turn back around. And this invitation is not like, let's hang out in the pain and let's spend all of our time here forever, right? This is about a very intentional and deliberate practice because in that cleverness, that's why I say patterns are pain's way at getting us to turn back around. Right? It's like, It's Pain will find the clever way to bring you back into contact with it, I really believe that if pain were able to speak to us, right, it would be like, I promise I'm not trying to destroy your life. I just want you to acknowledge me. Mm. I don't want to be abandoned by you. If you could just acknowledge me and spend some time with me and witness and grieve alongside of me, I will loosen my grip. You know, like I don't need to cling to you forever as long as you see me and listen to me and hear me. And that doesn't require us to know every single detail about our story or what happened, right? Some folks are like, well, I don't have these memories. That's okay. We don't need to have all of the memories, but to just slow down and tune into the sensations, right? To tune into the pain, right? It's like, that is when pain can start to loosen its grip. It can feel like a lot and overwhelming sometimes to turn back towards it. But I would say that that intentional step is actually what then allows us to turn back around and move forward without needing the patterns and those lessons to keep presenting in different shapes and forms through different people and experiences in our lives.
0: Yeah, I think like another reason too why people suppress a lot of this past pain and you definitely talked about this in your book in detail of like how we don't want to blame our parents. And like Yue, you were saying like you had a good upbringing. So you're like, Mm -hmm. I should be grateful for that. Mm -hmm. But it's not about blaming. It's more about just looking at these past experiences when we were younger. Like you had this really great example in your book of just your past. Can you kind of like shed light a little more of like, how you've been able to be like, okay, I'm going to examine my past, but not be like, oh my God, my parents were the worst, you know, (laughs) because I think there's a very different thing here.
2: Yeah, I think it's so important, right, that we don't go into the space of throwing people under the bus, having to like annihilate them. Right. It's like, in fact, I think it's part of why people sometimes stay away from this work. Mm -hmm. It's like we've got those narratives of they've done the best that they could with what they had or they were so much better than their parents were to them. I should be grateful. Just respect them. And I think for others, it's like, we're scared of opening up Pandora's box or, you know, seeing what it is that we'll find, or we've gotten our relationships with our family to an okay enough, good enough place. And we don't want to disrupt that. Or maybe there's someone who's deceased and going back in feels really scary to bring something up and not even have the chance of reconciliation. Right. And so like, there's a lot of reasons why we might not want to, but I think there's a sense of tenderness when we know right from the start, like we're not here to destroy anybody. We're not here to throw anybody under the bus. This is truly about acknowledging you. And as you're alluding to sort of throughout the book, you know, I remind us of context, right? And I also say that context is not an excuse. Our parents, the adults in our lives, our caretakers, they were tiny humans once too, (laughs) and they were part of a system that was imperfect and flawed. And we know that there's a story there, right? And so again, context is valuable without it being an excuse. And so for me, gosh, I was so good at distracting myself away from the pain. My parents went through a nine-year divorce process starting when I was in first grade. I'm an only child. There was a tremendous amount of high conflict, psychological abuse, manipulation, gaslighting, true paranoia, emotional flooding. Like It was really chaotic. And I mentioned being an only child because it's just like this tiny little human there by herself, no siblings to bounce anything off of. Neither one of my parents ever repartnered or remarried. So there were no other adults adults in the space either. I sort of fantasize about like that other adult kind of giving me the eye, like I know what you're going through. And it's like, so there was just none of that recognition and acknowledgement and validation that what was happening was intense as it was from my perspective as a tiny little human. Was that the adults were crashing and burning around me that they were not okay. And what that meant for me was that I believed I needed to always pretend to be okay because not being okay would be too much for that system to handle. Whether that's true or not, they might sit here and be like, there was absolutely space for you to not be okay. But what's important about our stories is really about the way things get internalized by us, right? So for me, as a tiny little human in that space, I did not believe that there was room for me to not be okay. And so what happened is I started presenting as totally fine and unaffected and unbothered all of the time. I put a lot of energy into getting good at things, really good at the violin and sports, at language, you know, and like that made it seem like I was a well-adjusted individual. I was doing well in all of these areas of my life. I was not a problem. I was not an added stressor or a burden to this family system that was struggling in a really massive way. And this needless little girl, I say, turned into a needless woman, Mm -hmm. right? Unsurprisingly, Mm -hmm. I was loved participating in the cool girl persona, which meant I had zero boundaries. (laughs) I was the same, like unaffected, unbothered. Absolutely. Totally. Yeah. I'm cool. Right. I'm cool. Yeah. And could never actually express anything. And I didn't even know what it was because I had never been taught or even understood how to truly tune into how I was feeling because there was never room for that. And it wasn't until a relationship in my mid late twenties where there was a big breakthrough. I had had a number of breakthroughs prior to this, but there was a really significant moment where, you know, his ex came back into. The picture wanted to be back with him. He was considering going back oh. into the relationship with her versus staying in the relationship with me. And boom, boom there it was. Therapist me, right, was like, totally understand. Like, oh absolutely God. take all the time <laughs> you no, need. You go for it. You <laughs> go for whatever. Like, and you know, again, right? It's like I'm sure there's context. You must be struggling, right? Centering everybody else's experience over mine. And I remember having a conversation with a friend, and it, it all. Clicked in, which is, oh my gosh, the role that I took on as a kid is the same role that I am in now in all of my adult relationships. Mm. And that was the catalyst. You know, I mm-hmm. got on the phone and, you know, removed myself from the relationship and, you know, really never turned back. And it it wasn't this mic drop empowering moment. You know, it was like a I said what I needed to say while my palms were sweating and my <laughs> you know throat was closing down. And then I was like crying on the bathroom floor for, you know, a couple months afterwards. But it still set the track, mm. right? for me to be like, this is the new way of engaging and being able to at least start to express what is okay and what's not okay. For the first time I had said, this doesn't feel respectful. I am not okay. I feel very affected by this. And for some people listening, they're like, that's easy to say, right? For me, that was life-changing, Truly not hyperbolic, right? Like that was life changing for people who have never said I'm hurt. I'm bothered. Mm-hmm. I'm not okay. Right. Like to have those words come out of my mouth was everything. That was so profound. Now I have no trouble saying it. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> my husband is well, like, I've don't." i, I never heard, later- heard the version of you that hasn't been able to, you know, express and share how you feel. But yeah, that was a big pivot in my life.
1: And the layer on top of that, too, in your book, you talk about this moment where you felt like, okay, Connor truly has my back, Mm -hmm. is that he acknowledges you, he validates these experiences you've had. So the onus is on you to express it, but then having a partner who sees you Mm -hmm. for that, I mean, that's truly magical in a relationship. But when we're talking about these wounds and how they can show up in our relationships and love lives, we'll dive into the wounds, but generally, how do they show up? in our romantic relationships.
2: Yeah. I mean, you're going to notice it wherever it is that you find reactivity, you know, like where we have friction and tension in our relationships, the complaints that we have, you know, I talk about this, something that John Gottman once said, right. It's like behind every complaint, mm-hmm. you know, is a deep emotional longing, yeah. no emotional need that's not being met. And when we can start to really understand, well, is that being driven from a place of not feeling worthy, good enough, valuable? Are you questioning how important you you are to someone? Do you feel like an outsider and like you don't fit in here and belong here? Are you struggling to trust this person? Do you not feel emotionally safe here, right? It's like those are the things that are generating these complaints or these criticisms or these ruptures that we're feeling and experiencing in our relationships. And so those are, you know, reactivity is one of the greatest indicators. It really points that arrow back to an unresolved origin wound. I mentioned this before. One of my favorites, like you're able to give the advice to everybody else, but you can't take it, right? It's like, oh my gosh, your ex texted you, don't you dare text back. And then you're like, little thumbs are
0: moving really quickly when yours is up at it, it, right? so guilty of that.
2: Yep. (laughs) Right? It's like, we can see it so clearly. And it's like, we have a depth of understanding about certain things, but when unresolved pain of our own is present, right? It's like, oh, that wins every time, right? It wins. It beats out the part that's like, I know that this isn't the best, most aligned thing for me to do, Mm -hmm. right? And again, those types of things, if it's repeated, right, are going to lead us back to unhealed wounds. The patterns, whether it's sabotage, whether it's something else, but like the patterns, the unwanted patterns that you just can't shake, right? It's like, those are the things that are, the alarm is going off.
0: What I love, I just kind of had this revelation as you were talking is, you know, I think I'm also very guilty of feeling like just needless in relationships for so long until that shift happened. Mm. And now I state my needs maybe too much, but I'll never apologize for that. <laughs> but, <Never too> <laughs> but I think a lot of it was like, I didn't dig deeper into what these wounds were. It was more just like, oh, I don't want to fight like my parents. So I'm just going to suppress my needs. But what I'm mm-hmm. learning now from your book and this conversation, everything is it actually goes deeper than that of how you internalized it. So I think this is a good opportunity to walk through the main wounds that you've identified that yeah. we all experience. I yeah. think the one that real I mean all of them resonate with me, but one that really hit me was the worthiness wound. So can you kind of go into that and share like what it is and sure how this tends to play into dating and relationships? There's a line in the book somewhere where I'm like,
2: I'm kind of convinced now after doing all of this writing and you know research that oh. all of us rub up against a worthiness wound at some point or another. Yeah. And obviously kind of on a spectrum and and some people will really identify it with it more than others, but in the the what's your primary origin wound quiz yep. that I created. We've had over, I think like 35,000 people complete wow. it now and wow. absolutely worthiness comes in at the highest as the primary <laughs> one. I got, but yes. you can have
0: all five, you know, you can
2: have <laughs> multiples sure, yeah. here. I certainly have multiples. So, okay. The worthiness wound is when you grew up questioning your value, like, am I good enough? There's a lot of times where worthiness can be It presents when there's a condition to something. So for all the perfectionists, the pleasers, the performers, the comic relievers in the house right now, right? Like this is where we tend to see a lot of that worthiness wound get activated, right? Because it's in that condition of if I am perfect, if I please, if I am successful at something, right? Like that is how I get love, connection, presence, peace, calm, attention, validation, from the people I want it the most. So whether that was straight A's, whether that was great performance on an athletic field, and that's how you got a parent to love and connect with you, right? And that Mm. when those things were not happening, or even just the threat of them not happening, right? Was that everything that you wanted would be lost, right? So it really forces us into this space of, I must be X, Y, or Z in order to get connection, love, attachment, presence, et cetera, et cetera. And I think there can also be statements of harm, right? It's it's not that uncommon for someone to say, like, I had a parent who just told me that I was worthless, Mm. you know, that I like wasn't good enough. You know, it's like Mm -hmm. there are these statements of harm that happen. They're heartbreaking, right? To hear that someone would ever speak to you that way. Of course, that intersects with abuse, right? When people are speaking that way to you. But those are the things that begin to erode, Right. Our belief that we are indeed worthy, good, valuable, important in this world. Right. And so how that continues to show up today, you know, same pleasers, mm. performers, perfectionists. Right. Yeah. You sort of hang on to that role and believe I need to be look seem this way in order to get the things that I want. I think when it comes to, you know, dating relationships, right? It's like, okay, who do I need to be in order to get that? How do I need to present? What can I reveal? What can't I reveal? Right. All of that is attached to worth.
0: Yeah. I mean, dating, we've talked about this and we actually have a term for it that we call the validation trap because dating activates all of that so much because you're basically putting yourself on display, especially the world of apps <laughs> to be swiped on one way or the other to say, am I ultimately at the core deemed lovable, which is, of course, going yeah. to activate those yeah. worthiness wounds, right? Like, how do you help people? get out of that mentality, understanding the wound that they're in. Because personally, I even face it like in a relationship of two years, like when my partner and I were struggling to get on the same timelines, it totally activated all of those
2: so many of us outsource our worth. What I would say is that a lot of this work is about insourcing it, Mm -hmm. right? Having it be something that does indeed live with inside of you, right? When it's outsourced, meaning I am worthy when this person commits to me, Mm -hmm. I am worthy when I look this way and not that way. I am worthy when a person swipes on me. Mm-hmm. Those are things put all of the control in somebody else's hands. You have no say. Mm-hmm. And it's really problematic when we don't have a say in our own lives. How does one begin to work with this? Well, it's certainly not by telling yourself that you are indeed worthy. And, you know, to me, this is absolutely about going back to the origins of what makes you question it in the first place, Right how was it outsourced originally, right? And so for some of the examples that we've already been talking about, right? When you learned that you needed to dress a certain way or put your hair up a certain way in order to get attention from mom or in order for her to be happy with you, right? Like, yeah, that imprints something. When you learn that someone is actually engaged with you when you've scored a hat trick, but could care less or doesn't even look your way when you didn't have any goals, Yeah, that has an imprint, right? It's teaching you that you need to be a certain way in order to get the thing that you want, right? And so, you know, we have to move away from that and move towards actually witnessing how painful those experiences were, Mm -hmm. right? Actually acknowledging the impact, what it took from us, right? What it robbed from us in the moment, how it put us on a separate path, right? The loss that's there, the feelings that we have around those experiences, which, you know, I think when we witness properly, it brings us to grief, which is just, mm-hmm. you know, the authentic emotional expression of what is there when we start to see this pain through a clear, clean lens. And so it's like tending to the origins of this pain, right? As opposed to just trying to solution and fix, how can I believe that I'm worthy? Anybody who has a worthiness wound is going to tell you, <laughs> yeah, I know it's true for everybody else, yeah. right? It's like, I talk yeah. to people all the time and yeah. they're like, no, I, I of course believe all of my friends, strange. Like, I believe people are, you know, innately worthy. It's just, I don't see that for myself, right? (laughs) You know, it's like, we are the one person that is not, we're the outsider with that. And so we know that it cannot just be, here's the solution and just believe it because you're born that way. You're born worthy and you're like, cool, prove it. You know, it's like, it doesn't integrate that way because there's been enough hurt there's been enough to the wound to hold that as the narrative. And so, yeah, and this is going to be the answer for any question that we have about Mm -hmm. a wound, right? It's like, what do we do with it? Right. It's like, yeah, we witness, right. We grieve. And then there's these moments where we can start to pivot and choose a different path. You know, I have a worthiness wound as well. And really where it came out, like where it got exacerbated. So we'll remember that I am the needless child turned needless adult, totally fine, unbothered, unaffected, yada, yada. So my dad, when I was easygoing, was like super present, super supportive, Mm. acts of service. Like we had so much fun together, like wonderful. When I was difficult- And I put like difficult meaning like a teenager, like nothing really out of the ordinary. He would punish by giving me the silent treatment, Mm. sometimes for days or weeks on end. And this really played into that worthiness piece because it continued to solidify. Don't express yourself. Don't step out, right? Don't speak up. When you have something that is disruptive to the other person, or they don't like it for whatever reason, right. Then love connection, presence, et cetera, is ripped away from you. You know, the silent treatment is quite punishing. It's very painful and confusing and, you know, hard to sit with. And so it was like, here was this thing that started like, Oh, you have to be easygoing, fine, (laughs) you know, like good quote unquote, right. Like be the good girl. And then you can get what you want. But if you step out in any way, people leave. Yep. Right. And that was important for me to identify because it was like the thing that kept me so tight in that box for a long time on top of the role that I had taken on from, you know, a really early age. And so this book, again, as we work through the wounds is this invitation to really reflect and see. Yeah, like what do you identify? Where are your wounds? What are some of the stories that have contributed to this kind of conditional negotiation with the self?
0: So the example you just said, I totally see that time batch of the cool girl, a hundred percent, right? Right. So how do you then mm-hmm. go like, okay, this was the story of my past? This is not where I want to go currently. Like, how do you make that pivot in connection?
2: I think many of us are familiar with the quote that's attributed to Viktor Frankl, which is, you know, between stimulus and response, there is a pause, right? And we talk about it. And then the pause, right, becomes this gateway to our freedom. My thoughts are that when we spend time witnessing and grieving, what happens is we start to extend our pause. That means that In our current lives, in our relationships, right, in these moments, when we have an intimate relationship with our story, with our pain, when we get to know it, when we know what the wounds are, right, when we are intimate with it, that's where, ooh, something happens or, you know, somebody doesn't respond to us for a period of time or we haven't had any connections on an app in a week or whatever it is. And instead of just going to this space that is automatic, Mm -hmm. We're actually aware, conscious in that space. We're like, ooh, uh-uh. I feel that sensation, right? That one that starts creeping up in my chest and like through my throat and in the backs of my eyes or whatever it is, right? It's like, and we actually lean back into ourselves. Okay, what wound is activated here? Oh, <laughs> uh, the worthiness one, okay. <laughs> oh, prioritization, right? Your friend didn't message you back in a week and now you see her on social media having dinner with some of your other friends and they didn't even mm-hmm. think to invite you and da 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 Right. Like, Mm. you know, it's like, okay, what's active here? Right. And how do I tend to it differently instead of reacting from it? So the third part of the book, which maybe we'll have time to get to, how the breakdown in conflict communication and boundaries happens based on mm. irresolution around these wounds. So when we're not aware of this stuff, what do we do? Maybe we send our friend a message that's like, what the <laughs> fuck? Like, I can't believe you didn't invite me. Or maybe we're passive aggressive and right. we don't respond back to her for another two weeks to give her her lesson. Right. It's like, and that just perpetuates the pain. Right. And so this work is okay. When I can start to identify my wounds, when I can actually take that deliberate time to witness and grieve, that's the work that then extends the pause, which says, okay, Yep, I'm going to have these moments. I hate to break it to everyone. Unfortunately, we will continue to have these moments for the rest of our lives where things rub up against our wounds, right? Because the scar is there regardless. It's going to touch it. It might not be as raw, but it's going to touch it for the rest of our lives. And it's in those moments right, where we have the opportunity right, to move into behaviors and decisions that are healing-led versus behaviors and decisions that are pain-led.
1: I love that. You said that because I think as a grown-ass adult, sometimes (laughs) this is what comes up for me is like, I'm above these wounds. (laughs) You know, these wounds are coming up because of societal pressure. I'm above it. I can control it. I can handle it. I know I'm worthy, but they still creep up. But there's that internal ego battle, maybe. I think it might be pride and ego at work here. But You're saying like, if we just step back and acknowledge the wound, it's not about judging it. It's about acknowledging our experience. So I'm glad that you said that because I think it's so important for our listeners to hear
0: that. Let's hold that thought for a quick message. So I want to go into the next wound because we have a few more to run through and these all show up in dating and relationships. So the next one on our list, belonging, I need to belong or I want to belong. Can you tell us about that?
2: Some people will resonate with this, which is, You grew up in a family system where there was this narrative of like, this is what we believe, right? This is what we do. This is how we operate in the world. And there's this sense of like, if you don't do or think Or be like we are, right, then you're on the outside. So a lot of times with belonging, it's like the intolerance of differences, right? Like you can't think differently or you can't love differently or you can't whatever differently because it's not something that is understood, loved, accepted, appreciated by the other people in the system. And for example, somebody who was like the black sheep in the family, that would be a very clear example of someone who, you know, didn't feel like they were a part of it. With belonging, it's really tough, right? As tiny humans, 100% of the time we will adapt. We will start there. Dr. Gabor Mate talks about how when attachment is threatened, we will trade authenticity every time, right? So as kiddos, right? That like Mm. attachment and authenticity are lifelines, right? But when attachment is threatened, when we're a child, we will trade authenticity every single time. We must, we have to, it's our survival. And so we start at adaptation. So this loss of self can really start to come in when we must adapt in order to, belong would really be the wrong word here. It would be to fit in, Mm -hmm. right? To like kind of Feel a part of something because the alternative is too threatening to us. And so this is where we hide, you know, we pretend, we hide, we adapt, we placate, you know, until a certain point. So we always start with adaptation, but for some folks, right, we might get to this place of rebellion, right? So like think of teen years where we're like, screw it, I don't care what you want me to wear, I'm gonna do the exact opposite, or I'm gonna believe the exact opposite, or I'm gonna push your boundaries or test you in this way and be the exact opposite of who you want me to be, right? So yeah, the rebels can certainly be in this area as well. But anybody who just felt like who they are, who they were was just not received, was not understood. And you don't have to be the same people, right? But like mm-hmm. that there was no curiosity or just acceptance, even if people have different beliefs, right? Like when, even if there is a departure, we, we can still have respect. And what I would say about people who have a belonging wound right, is that there was so much adaptation that had to happen where there is this constant questioning of, you know, who am I really? Because the rebel is just the, it's the swing of the pendulum. You know, the rebel is just a path of opposition. It's not actually into integration and so even in that rebelled space Mm.
0: it's not true i mean i could see this showing up in dating too of just like preserving this date self Mm. you know like the one that you're supposed to feel like i just act this way or i talk about this type of thing on dates Mm. because there are other ways that you can look at how belonging fits in in the dating and relationship space
2: It's interesting you say it because this is where I should put this point. Our stories and the things that have happened in our lives will be internalized by every single one of us Mm -hmm. in a very personalized way. So the three of us could have the same exact experience and I might personalize it as a worthiness wound. Mm. Julie, you might personalize it as a prioritization wound and you might internalize it as a safety wound mm. right mm-hmm. and so I think that's very important because even Julie to your point where you're like ooh that kind of sounds like okay I'm going to shapeshift myself in mm-hmm. dating and I'm going to say that I do like this band when I have never even heard of them or I'm going to be like oh yeah I'm the cool girl and like totally unaffected when we actually are it's like we become who we think the other person wants us to be mm. and is that because I am only worthy if I present mm. this way is that I will only belong here if I I am. Right. right? Can I only be prioritized by you if I present myself this way? Right. So it can be nuanced, right? It is very nuanced. So I just wanted to Mm -hmm. say that here because I, I don't want people to feel like, okay, I have to fit into this box and what, okay, this event happened. So it must mean that I'm going to present this way in dating and relationships. It has much more like feel and fabric and nuance to it.
0: Like I think what I'm gathering though it's more like these are all the wounds that we can experience and how they mold into our dating and relationships. Yeah. really are dependent on us and our story. So like looking at that with the belonging wound, Yeah. Like what are some common stories if you internalize it that way?
2: Yeah, like that I'm always on the outside, that I am not a part of something. You know, people who feel othered a lot. You know, in the belonging chapter, I actually bring societal stuff into it mm-hmm. in that chapter specifically more than any other chapter, because I think there's so much around otherness, right? When it comes to belonging, right? Where there's, you know, the adaptation is not just within family systems. It's in society. It's in media. It's looking at like, here are the images that we grew up seeing as quote unquote, beautiful mm-hmm. in a very specific look. Like now we have much more representation and you know we're moving in that direction of like, here's what love can look like and here's what's beautiful and here's what's this and here's what's that, right? And yes, it's much more expansive, but the people who are reading this book are the people who grew up at a time where they might not have seen that. In fact, they probably didn't, Mm -hmm. right? And so, you know, folks who, any person of color that I've Mm -hmm. ever worked with, if they grew up in an environment where they were surrounded by more white people in their schools or their communities, right? This like, you know, code switching that happens, which is not just with people of color, right? Code switching can happen when, you know, you're at a private school, but you're there on a full scholarship and you have no money, but you're presenting as if you fit in here, but you don't fit in, right? So this idea that you're not meant to be here, you are different, Right. And, you know, to think about the ways in which you feel like your differences are either understood or not understood, respected or not respected, honored or not honored. And if you have this overwhelming sense that they are respected, honored, seen, understood, like then maybe you don't feel that sense of not belonging. But if you do feel that, right, like then maybe you do question that belonging and you participate in that shape-shifting in order to quote unquote fit in.
1: This is a very intriguing wound for me because I thought I would identify with this one the most being Chinese American and growing up in an immigrant family where I was constantly told that try to belong to the other. Mm -hmm. We did not have a strong sense of belonging to ourselves, but try to belong to the others. You know, when you go to school, try to be like the kids. When you are working, try to be just like your coworkers. Mm. And how that has shown up for me in my love life is, yes, there's that performative aspect. I feel like I need to be someone else to prove myself worthy. So the worthiness wound definitely pops up. But for the belonging wound, how it pops up for me is that I don't know what I want. Mm -hmm. I often find Mm -hmm. that I can't make decisions, don't know what I'm looking for in love Mm -hmm. because I don't feel a strong sense of self. Yeah, And I want to belong and subscribe to someone else's ideology about love.
0: That's really interesting.
2: It is. And very eye-opening to think about it in that perspective. And yeah, it's like by working so hard at being like others, that loss in the relationship to self, which gets to say, here's what I like, here's what I want, here's how I feel. Right. It's like yeah. it's not there. You know, and it's so you were so successful at it, right? You were so successful at being like others. Yeah. Right. And it's like it might have gotten you what you needed at that time, right? Like it might have been successful for you at that time. But to be at this moment in life, to be like, Ooh, if I continue this way, what happens? I don't know myself. Mm-hmm. I can't know myself. You know, this is not a, a therapy
0: moment for you. you.
2: You're like, oh, what did I open up? Uh, <laughs> but I'm ready. Yeah, yeah. But it, yeah,
0: like
1: to think about where it is that you would actually do continue to do that. Julie is talking about stating her needs and doing that in the relationship. Sometimes I feel like I want to state my needs. I just don't know what my needs are. Yeah. I get a little bit lost in that. Yeah. So it's very interesting to hear that unfold because I've always been like, do I just not have a strong sense of self? Well, right. Because you cannot be you, right? Like that was the message.
0: Yeah.
2: You cannot be you. And part of what you're having to restore is what does it mean to be me? Like that was the
0: message. Definitely seeing how layered, all of these wow. can get and like how they're so unique to everyone. They are. So I know like we don't have too much time left, but I want to go through the other <laughs> three wounds. You know, okay, like, sure I want to play tribute to <laughs> yes. the other three because they also should not be forgotten. Yes. So maybe we can go into the I want to be prioritized.
2: Yeah, so simply put, growing up feeling like there were other things that were more important than you. Mm-hmm. So whether that was a workaholic mm-hmm. parent or some other addiction in the household, whether that was a mental health challenge that took up a lot of space and energy, whether it was a sibling who had an illness and the adults were very focused on that child and not you, whether it was just like high conflict mm. couple where the conflict was actually the focus and just took up all the energy energy or, you know, a parent who there's a divorce and then they start dating kind of chronically constantly and they're wrapped up in their own dating life and never ask you about how you're doing or what's going on in your world anymore, right? And so there's a lot of ways in which it can present. I usually, as we're sort of halfway through the wounds, you know, it's like, this is where I tend to say to people, wounds don't have to come from abusive, negligent, malintended places, right? Like I have an example of a client that I share in the book. Who named Andre? He has a single mom working multiple jobs. They go to church on Sunday together and get brunch together afterwards. But that's really it. She works double shifts every day except for Sundays, and he could sit there in session and be like, "Her working these double jobs is her way of right. prioritizing me." Right? Like he could really rationalize that. But it wasn't until he could just say, "I want." To be prioritized through time spent with her. Yeah. You know, and this was, this is a heartbreaking mm-hmm. thing because this is really an example of someone truly doing their best, right? Absolutely. But people can do their best and we can still have
0: pain. Yeah. You know,
2: and that's so important, I think, to make space for that when we work so hard at protecting another. There is no way for us to properly honor ourselves. You can't honor your pain and simultaneously protect someone else, period.
0: Yeah, I could definitely see how this can show up while dating. You kind of talked about the example of like your friend, you know, making yeah. plans with other people like dating, especially mm-hmm. there's prioritization all the time and feeling like, oh, this person just oh, yeah. evaporated out of thin air. Like what other ways do you see this one showing up for people?
2: Oh, sure. I mean, even just like the cadence at which a person responds to mm-hmm. you, right? Like, yeah, we have this idea of if I were prioritized, you yeah. would respond within or if they whatever. wanted to, they would. minutes, an yeah hour, 24 hours, right? If they wanted to, they would, right. Yeah. If I were just a priority, you would show up on time, yep. right? You wouldn't be 15 minutes late, or you know, whatever it is, right? So it's like, there's so many different ways that you don't feel like you are important, right? Somebody doesn't, tell you where you're going until two hours before.
0: So it's like the seemingly little thing, but it's activating right. all the stuff of your past. It
2: can. Yeah. Right. It can. Or somebody who doesn't, after you had a successful date and you both were vibing and you're like, okay, we should do this again. And then nothing happens for a week. And then they come back around and they're like, Hey, and you're like, well, this doesn't feel like I'm a priority to you. Right. So it's like to think about the ways in which prioritization does get activated where you don't feel like you are. Are important enough. And so whether it's dating, whether you are in relationship and, you know, somebody doesn't communicate something to you that you think they needed to, well, you didn't do that because I'm not like relevant. It's not, you're not thinking about me.
0: Yep. Mm -hmm. The next one. Trust. Next, trust.
2: Yeah. So, trust is when we experience betrayal, deceit, lies. I think probably the one that comes to mind first for most people is if there was infidelity, if there was an affair. We have people who gamble away an education fund. We have people who take credit cards out in their children's names. We have Mm -hmm. other things like, you know, a parent repeatedly making a promise and never following through or, you know, adult who makes sweeping generalizations. It's like never trust a man. You know, it's like those types of things, right. Really will deeply affect us and kind of set the tone for, you know, can I trust the people closest to me, right. When they're, especially when there is a betrayal, deceit or a lie with those closest to us, it kind of sets the tone for, yeah, like all people close to me are going to deceive me or lie to me or betray me in some way. Trust and safety, there's a lot of interconnectedness there, right? Because when trust is ruptured, you know, so is safety. And when safety is ruptured, so is trust, right? And like, again, it's important to read the book because I think some of the examples that I give there will really help the reader kind of connect to where there is a slight difference to it. But yeah, there is interconnectivity there because safety wound is when your Overall well being is not cared for, considered, protected, respected, honored, right? Like there is a lack of safety and security in that space. In that chapter, it's a tender chapter. We're talking about the absence of safety. We are often talking about the presence of abuse. And so I do talk about that there, mm-hmm. recklessness, negligence, right? And so, yeah, it's like, when there's a rupture in trust and a rupture in safety, a lot of times our walls can go up, right? We're very hypervigilant. We don't believe things or we're waiting for the other shoe to drop or, you know, we feel the need to like see who else are they texting? Maybe we start snooping in areas like DMs or emails or text messages or there's just this constant waiting for something bad to happen. And in that space, right, like there will be times where the wall is very low. So for example, someone who tries to create safety by fast forwarding a relationship. Mm -hmm. So like, I am safe if I can get you to commit to me. Mm -hmm. Right. So again, it can look a number of different ways, but a lot of times that wall will go up. And so we have rigid boundaries or we don't become intimate. like We don't share ourselves. We don't share what's going on in our inner worlds because we have this feeling that someone's just going to use that information against us, or they're just going to leave, or they're not going to care about it and, and really emotionally tend to us. So I got clever in, in
1: merging the trust and the safety <laughs> at the end here to try yes, to, he to like did. nail both of <laughs> them. Thank you for doing that. <laughs> I mean, that's super helpful. And I can totally see the trust one showing up as someone who yeah. has that guilty until proven innocent mentality. The kind of, oh, yeah, he said he would call me tonight, but let's see if he really does. And then it ends up being a self fulfilling prophecy because right. you're looking for mm-hmm. people to prove you right that right. they're going to abuse your trust. So right. we see that a lot with a lot
0: of the daters we talk to. I mean, I think from this conversation, your book, I'm glad that, like, you know, we obviously just skipped. The surface. There's so much more in depth yes. that people could get, but luckily, there's yeah. a very easy way for people to get that information. <laughs> but I think you know, my biggest takeaway from all of this is: I think I came in being like the worthiness wound is like the one that's the biggest challenge for me. But I'm seeing how all the wounds can play in to what goes on for me, mm-hmm. yes. and I think the point of like how it all shows up differently based on the story that you're identifying is so key. So this was kind of a great way to understand like, what do we all go through? But like, how do you start to reflect back? And I think the parts that you were talking about of mm-hmm. how it's it doesn't really do much to just say like, oh, this isn't a big deal, or I should be above it. Like, how do we really get into it. Like, how do we dig into what was going on? And I don't know, for other people, like, I feel like I've suppressed a lot of stuff and not because, like, something super traumatic happened, but just sure. because of age and because of just, you know, life experiences. But it's really mm. how do you go back? and like face this and like look at yourself as this younger child and i remember we had another interview on this podcast and the therapist saying like sometimes with my wife i'm not talking to my wife i'm talking to the 7-year-old that's sitting in front of me mm-hmm. so i think also yeah. having grace for yourself but also the people you're dating with cuz we're all experiencing these wounds like this is universal for all of us and yeah. how do you do that work but then also You know, talk through it with people, whether that's a therapist or the people you're dating or your partner, like that's I think the healing can come in a partnership. For years I thought like you have to be good yourself in order to attract. But we learned from your last episode Mm -hmm. we had with you and Connor too. Like that's the power of a great relationship, is that you can do this healing together.
2: Yeah. It's why I wrote this book because I know that not everybody is going to go to therapy or has access to it or can afford it and Like, here's a place where in the comfort of your own home, you know, you can begin to peel back some of these things. And it's very important to tend to this part for yourself because yeah, to your point, you read all of these chapters because even if you don't think you have a wound, your partner might, or your best friend might, or your child might. And to begin to remember that everybody is carrying this around, right? That, That everyone's behavior actually makes quite a bit of sense when we have the context of their pain around it. And when we love and care about someone, right, and there's reciprocity there, then we do tune into these stories with one another. But it's very important for us to begin doing some of this work, at least on our own, right, to like identify it. And I think that this book, you know, what a lot of people have said is that even though I am direct and, you know, I want us to face this, the book feels like I'm holding your hand and you're in therapy Mm -hmm. with me. Like it kind of feels that way. And it's this really nice balance of, having to take ownership and accountability and you're not being let off the hook. Mm. There's grace and compassion though, as well. And so finding that intersection to me is one of the best ways to, to do healing work. So very excited that people get to read the book and so happy that I got to be here with the two of you.
1: I think compassion is exactly the word I would use for this book. And I so appreciate how compassionate you are in describing these wounds. My biggest takeaway from the book and our conversation is that wounds are a very human experience. We are all going to have wounds. And I think during our childhood and maybe early adulthood, Mm -hmm. we're just putting on the Band-Aids, just making sure that we don't bleed to death. But now is the time as we I really think in our late 20s and 30s is the time to address each bandaid one at a time. Okay, let's open up this one. See how this one's healing. It's bleeding pretty bad. I think I need to tend to this one the most. And that can be such a scary process. I have a friend who is um, peeling one of those Band-Aids this year. She's like, I'm finally ready to address this wound. Mm. It takes so much courage. So that's also something to acknowledge is that this is not easy. It, it doesn't happen overnight. But through your book and through your guidance, we can kind of take off those Band-Aids and start healing the wounds together. Yeah. So thank you for that. Thank you for writing this book. Thank you for this conversation, Vienna. We could go on for probably three or four more hours <laughs> about you for sure and how they can show up in different ways. But I'm glad that we can at least give people kind of the surface level awareness look into what the balloons are. So if people want to get their hands on your book, where can they go? You can get this book anywhere that books are sold. So whatever your favorite <laughs> bookseller you know is,
2: it'll have it. You can find me on Instagram, mindful mft, as in marriage family therapy. So there are you know, all the links for books and workshops and all the stuff that's going on. I don't know when this will come out, but Connor and I are doing a couples uh, weekend workshop, uh, June 3rd and 4th. Oh, nice. Great. Both in person and virtual. So that might also be something that's valuable
0: for people. Definitely. And I'm a big Kindle Absolutely. person, but I bought your hardcover because your book cover is just so gorgeous and so pretty, so beautiful. So if you're looking for art, as well on your bookshelf. Yeah. Highly recommend. But UA also got the audiobook. So you got something for everyone.
1: I got the audio because I love listening to you. Yeah. I love
0: I really
1: loved reading the book because I share
2: so many stories and I don't share the stories like it's our conversations. And so it was actually really fun because I got to get into characters almost nice. throughout yes. and kind of like bring the different personalities and irritations and frustrations. And so I loved reading the book. I think each way kind of gives a very different offering.
0: Yeah. I was like, maybe I should get the audio book now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah. All for I mean, just to yes. give people a little teaser, the
1: book opens like a first page of your diary. Yeah. Honestly, I was like, oh my gosh, we're, gonna, we're going we're to go there now. now. Yeah. We went there and we went there in this conversation for all of our listeners. We really appreciate if you can give us a rating and review, an Apple podcast, five stars, always makes us happy and heals our wounds. But <laughs> our, in, worthiness <laughs> our worthiness wounds are really activated. Review, <laughs> your worthiness wound, yeah. <laughs> and prioritization. All of them. And trust, you know, <laughs> all of it. But maybe in the blurb of your review, you can tell us which wound really resonated with with you just listening to this conversation. No need to expand on it, but we just love to get the conversation rolling through those reviews. And on that note, we're going to wrap up this episode. Stay beautiful. Stay The Dateable Podcast is part of the Frolic Media Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. You can follow us on Instagram at Datable Podcast and visit dateablepodcast.com for access to all the episodes and our premium programs. Also, make sure to subscribe today if you haven't already on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform so you are the first to get all the latest episodes. And most importantly, stay dateable.